I, uh, I am so excited about being here, and uh, it feels so much uh, like what God has had our ministry. And when I say our, I mean our, because Linda and I are a team. Honey, just wave, turn around, everybody look, this is my, my sweetheart right up here, there we go, right there, Linda, and uh, because I was in Youth for Christ for 38 years, and most of the time ran Campus Life Clubs. And if you don't know Campus Life, it's almost exactly like Young Life. And so I know we have a lot of Young Life backers in here and all that, and I can tell the way Pete is leading up front, definitely a club guy, right? Without a doubt. And I love the games that you're doing. My goodness, uh, one of my majors is uh, biblical studies. I think I missed that class. I'm just saying. And I'm afraid that when you see your kids in a little while, they're going to say, Mommy, Daddy, what did you learn from the speaker? And you're going to say, oh, biblical kings did drugs or something. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, and worship band, thank you so very much. And Rich, are you still in here, Rich, who's just sang a little bit? Ago? Oh, there you are. Hey, my friend, thank you. That spoke to all of us, I'm sure. But that song... Uh, one of the things I do every year is that I uh, pray and ask God's Spirit to show me a word for the year. And uh, my word this year is faithful. So, Rich, that was, uh, that really, uh, that settled my heart and gave me focus. And so, thank you so very much. Well, speaking of family, since this is Family Fest, uh, you can kind of see that maybe a little bit. Uh, uh, afterwards, come on up and then I'll tell you about each one. I'm just kidding. Uh, but my wife, Linda, and I, uh, we have three married kids. From, uh, our kids are 42, 40, 36, and then we have nine grandkids between the ages of 16 months and almost 16. Our oldest grandchild is going to be driving in May. It just freaks me out. And so I should probably show you where this all started. Uh, if we can go to the next photo there, Katie. Do we have that one? There we go. There we go. That's where it all started, and uh, March 12, 1977, so do the math, in about two or three weeks, uh, Linda and I are going to Florida to celebrate our 45th wedding anniversary, yep, so thankful, and if you, uh, if you look at our pictures, uh, it's, it was, uh, it's appropriate, it's just right after the Olympics, and Linda's favorite Olympian was Dorothy Hamill. If, uh, I mean, some of you, are, you have to be really older to remember Dorothy Hamill. Uh, but then if you look at my hair, that's legit. That's not a perm. I had a full afro and beard. And uh, in fact, when our oldest, Benji, was three, he, he came to me one day and he had the wedding picture and he goes, Daddy, why will you wear a fuzzy space helmet when you got married? So, uh, family, it's so great, and to see some of you at breakfast this morning with your little ones, how exciting to, to be together. <clears throat> well, when you think about your kids, they come up with all kinds of unique questions, don't they? Uh, I said that Benji, when he was about three, asked me about my fuzzy space helmet. When he was about five, he walked in my office one day and he says, Daddy, I have a question for you. And I said, sure, Benji, what is it? And he goes, did Jesus have a belly button? Yes, he did. Okay, thanks. And then he started to walk out. And I, and I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why, what were you th why do you want to know if Jesus had a belly button? He goes, well, I just want to know if he was like me. I said, okay. 
Now, he's firstborn. Secondborn, Tyler, when he got to be five, it's a little different. He walked in and said, Daddy, I have a question. I said, what is it? Did Jesus ever fart? That's secondborn right there. And I said, well, <laughs> yes, he did. Why are you asking? Oh, I just wanted to know if he was like me. Yeah. Is he like us? You know, the goal of Family Fest weekend and the messages that I'm going to bring you, it's all about how to grow in our faith. And I loved what Pete said a little bit earlier, that the thing we all have in common is our love for Jesus. And so my desire in the five times that we have together, that God's Spirit will use these times, and especially His Word. Rich, in that song you were singing, I stand on His Word. I'm going to give and share a lot of Scripture with you, because I think that's really the key. Because it is powerful, isn't it? And so uh, hang on, we're going to have a lot of fun. I'm going to ask a question uh, each session, and we're going to try to take a biblical view and answer some of these questions. So here's the question I'm focusing on with you this morning in this first session. What do you believe about God? What do you believe about God? I mean, we sing about Him, and does our belief in God uh, waver? I mentioned I was in Youth for Christ for 38 years, and a dear friend of mine, mentor, and at one point he was president of Youth for Christ, his name is Jay Kessler, and uh, radio, and, and uh, wrote lots of wonderful books and everything. And one time, he was at our staff conference talking, and uh, he shared this story. He said that recently he had been in Europe, and he was in England, and he was in one of these incredible cathedrals that was over 700 years old. And uh, he got in there early to do a mic check, and he was getting ready to walk up these wooden steps in that winding spot to get up to the crow's nest where he was going to present God's holy word from. And there's nobody else in there except there's a janitor sort of cleaning up and sweeping a little bit. And so uh, Jay walked over to him and introduced himself and uh, finds out that this guy had been a janitor there for 40 years, 40, and Jay found out that the current pastor had been there 37 years, you know, and Jay says to the guy, 37 years, what did your pastor talk about for 37 years? And the old guy goes, God, that's right, it all begins with God, doesn't it? Uh, I hope you'll, at some point, if you want to take notes, I encourage you to do that. But this morning, we're going to take a look at God and what we believe about Him. In fact, I want to give you this statement, and I think it's worth remembering. What you and I believe about God does not determine who He is. But what you and I believe about God determines who we are. Say it again. What you and I believe about God does not determine who he is. You think that happens in our culture a little bit nowadays? Mm -hmm. But what we believe about God determines who we are. Give you an example. Uh, I have a brother and a sister and uh, my brother-in-law is a pastor, my, uh, my brother is also a pastor, so you should see our family gatherings when we get together, what we talk about, it's hilarious. 
basically we let down and talk about every, no, never mind. But when you think about family, uh, there's something about being a parent and a grandparent that your, your heart just is enveloped by your kids and what you want for them. And we want for them to grow up to be committed Christ followers and to live for him. Well, our nephew Landon, who is now 40 years old, uh, he grew up in a Christian home, professed Christ, and he got off to uh, uh, University of Nebraska. He was a Bible study leader for Navigators, if some of you are familiar with that ministry. And uh, he graduated from U of N, and then he joined the Peace Corps. He went away in the Peace Corps for two years to Ecuador, came back and let his family and the rest of us know that he no longer believed in God. He was a full-fledged atheist. And when I talked to him, I said, Landon, what got you to that point? And he said, well, first of all, Uncle Byron, please know, I, I'm, I'm not rejecting you, and you can believe whatever you want to believe, but when I'm in Ecuador and I see the poverty and the despair, I'm going, there cannot be a loving God. What we believe about God does not determine who he is, but what we believe about God determines who we are. I'm on staff at a church in the uh, Midwest called Eaglebrook Church, and uh, two years ago, I love this, this story, uh, from one of our campuses in Woodbury, there was this family that uh, about two years earlier, they had all come to put their faith in Christ. They'd been non-churched, and they had little kids, and they loved going to our Cadodio and all of that, learning about Jesus. And uh, their grandpa and grandma were not churchgoers, were not believers, but they started sharing with their grandma what they were learning in Cadodio. And grandpa and grandma were taking note of that, and grandpa and grandma were taking note of how their adult kids' lives had changed. And so these little kids invited grandpa and grandma to come to the Christmas services, and they come, and Jason Strand, some of you might have been here when Jason spoke a few years ago, Jason shared the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and gave people an opportunity to respond. And grandpa and grandma both received Christ as Savior, and now they're growing in their faith at church. I'm going to say this again. What we believe about God does not determine who he is, but what we believe about God determines who we are. And this family with those little grandkids, they believed that God was real. He sent his son to die for our sins and to rise from the dead and he could change our life. And it totally impacted the way they live and think and believe each and every day. How about us? Where are we at this morning where are, where's our head at when we think about uh, what we believe about God? I'm going to ask uh, just a few questions here, and I think you'll find this interesting, especially with some of the, the research. And uh, keep in mind that uh, in Ecclesiastes 3.11, we find this, that God has placed eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Eternity in our hearts that's why so many people are seeking spiritually. That's why at some point you became a Christ follower because God's spirit was bringing alive the fact that he had placed eternity and you were seeking and you perhaps grew up in a Christian home where you learned about who Jesus is. So 
what do I believe about God is a question everybody must ask. Let me tell you what Pew Research recently came up with in surveys. 49% of Americans believe in God as described in the Bible. That actually, if you listen to the news, that actually surprised me just a little bit. 36% believe in some other higher power, maybe God. 15% don't believe in any higher power or spiritual force. That's where my nephew Landon is at right now. So where are we at this morning? And so why do we believe what we believe about God? And it's so important to ask that because what we believe about God determines who we are. Our beliefs are impacted by, I'm going to give you several ways our belief is impacted by, are impacted by God. First of all, family influence. Family influence. If you grew up in a Christian home, definite influence. If you grew up in a home that had no faith, it was void, uh, definite impact, definite influence. I know so many friends and people who they were drawn to Jesus because of having great Christian parents. I know so many people who rejected Jesus because of difficult home situations or maybe even parents claiming to have some faith but not living that way. Geographical location impacts what we believe about God. If you're born in the deep south in the United States these days, sometimes affectionately referred to as the Bible Belt, uh, you have more churches, and that may impact. I've been to Bangladesh twice uh, for Youth for Christ, and it's 99% Muslim. Those folks have definitely been impacted about their belief in who God is because of growing up in Bangladesh. Our culture has a deep influence on what we believe about God. And I won't dive into all the details, but you know, all I have to say is social media, music, Hollywood, celebrities, what is politically or not politically or culturally correct, that impacts our belief about God. Personal experience, like my nephew Landon. He saw the poverty, affected his belief about God. One of our worship leaders at our church, his name is Aaron, and uh, he was uh, an amazing uh, singer in a rock band, and he was being very successful, but he lost everything uh, because of drugs. And literally one night, he had fallen because he had passed out outside a bar in downtown Minneapolis. And uh, somebody came by and literally saved his life, and he ended up in a, in a hospital. And uh, one of the nurses, who was a Christ follower, shared Jesus with Aaron. And uh, he came to know Jesus, and then later on married this girl. And now they have a family, and he is this amazing worship leader at our church now. His personal experience of being rock bottom and yet the light of Christ shining through somebody else totally impacted his desire in wanting to know and follow Jesus. So what difference does it make? What difference does it make? Well, the fact that you're here this morning, most of you with kids, I know we have singles here too, uh, that means your belief about God has made a difference in how you live and act and what you think. You're here 
this is a time to retreat together and to grow in our faith. My next door neighbor, Tony, uh, he's, he's a trip. Uh, he and I are really good friends, and I'm praying that he will know Jesus before he dies. Uh, he's in really bad health. Uh, he grew up in the hood in, uh, in St. Paul. Uh, he was exposed to uh, everything from uh, Mormonism to uh, Jehovah's Witness to uh, Charismatic to Lutheran, Presbyterian. I mean, his aunt took him to about seven or eight different flavors, all right? And so he just rejected all of them. And a few years ago, when we're talking about faith, and I was sharing Christ with him, and he goes, Byron, I'm happy for you. You have joy in your life. Yeah, it affects how you and Linda and I can, that's wonderful. Uh, but no, no. I can't go there. And I said, why not? And he says, well, because I heard a guy on TV say, uh, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe in something. And I heard another guy on TV say that if what you believe about God is not accurate, is not true, well, that when you die, the fact that you were sincere, God will still take you to heaven. I went, wow. So then we read some, some verses from Romans about knowing Jesus, and he read them out loud. And I looked at him, and I said, well, what do you think? And he goes, no, I can't. I said, why not? He said, well, because Zena, that's his wife, Zena's Muslim. And so if I say yes to following Jesus, then I'll never see Zena again. I said, Tony, if a bad dude breaks in the house right now and points a gun at you, Linda's going to be really sad about this, but I'm going to stand in the way and take the bullet. Do you know why? And he got real quiet for a little bit. Yep. I said, why? Because you're so confident of what's going to happen to you after you die, and you know that I'm not ready. I said, that's right. What we believe about God does not determine who he is, but what we believe about God determines who we are. Let me give you some truths from God's word that should really impact our belief about who God is in our lives. And it's going to make a difference. Here's the first truth. God's power is unfathomable. I use that word just because I like using words that cause my mouth to freak out a little bit. God's power is unfathomable. Try to get your kids to say that in between sessions. So let me give you several examples of how and why his power is unfathomable. First of all, he created everything. Absolutely everything. Colossians 1, we might have this, right, Katie? We sure do. Thank you, my friend. Colossians 1, 15 to 17, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything else was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else did, and he holds all creation together. Are any of you... Uh, you know, science buffs, or are you interested in astronomy? The, the, I, I, I'm not smart enough to really understand all of that, but I can understand a great illustration when I read one. How many of you know what the nearest non-sun star is? Blurt it out if you know it. Alpha Centauri, who's, do you know, did you say that? Good, you're, you're the only one not thinking about drugs. 
um, like everybody else, kings and drugs. Alpha Centauri. All right. Here's how far the non-sun star Alpha Centauri is from planet Earth. Imagine this. I have a magic gun that bullets, if I shoot the gun, travel at 186,000 miles per second. Per second. That's the speed of light. And so, Gino, just for fun... If I take this magic gun and I point it at you just to the side a little bit and I fire that bullet, if it's going the speed of light, that bullet is going to circle the entire globe seven times in the fraction of a second it takes to hit you. That's fast. Alpha Centauri is four and a half light years away. 186,000 miles per second, four and a half light years away. That's jihugic, folks. That's unfathomable power. So ask yourself, what difference does it make in my life that God has created all of that? Well, he's also created each of us. In Psalm 139, 13 to 15, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. The body is an amazing instrument, an amazing creation. Here's some fun facts in case you get into another game that Pete is leading about the human body. Did you know that there's enough fat in the average human body to make seven bars of soap? If that's true... I have enough to give all of your kids a bath three times. When we blush, so does our stomach. Astronauts grow up to two inches taller in outer space. You know, as a 5'10 shrinking old man, I, I just want to be an astronaut for a day. Ears and noses never stop growing. Doesn't that explain it? I'm going lately, I'm looking in the mirror, so why is this bigger than it used to be? Of course, the advantage is it grows, the hair grows out of here, too. So I've warned Linda, if, if I lose this, I'm just going to let this grow long and then do a comb over right out of my ear. <laughs> Average people produce enough saliva in a lifetime to fill two swimming pools. Anyone grossed out? Yeah, let's move on. He's created everything. He's created us. He knows everything about everyone all at the same time. Matthew 10, 29 to 31. Not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You're more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Okay. When it says that a sparrow can't fall to the ground, when I studied this in the original language, here's what I actually learned. You know when a sparrow or any bird comes to a branch on a tree in your backyard and it just and it, it just hits that branch just for a split second and then flies away again. So Jesus isn't talking about a sparrow just falling to the ground. He's talking about touch and go landings. Branch fly, branch fly. He knows when every bird on planet Earth does that. And not only does he know how many hairs we have in our head, but it says here the hairs on our head are numbered. 
1,000, number 700. Yeah, each one has a number. He knows. He knows everything about us. Psalm 139, 1 to 4. Oh, Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know everything I do. You know where I'm going and what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. A little reflection time. Since he knows all of that, how would we feel if every thought we've ever had appeared on a screen behind me right now? We would say, oh, Lord, have mercy. He is present everywhere. Psalm 139 Verses 5 to 18, listen to just part of this. You go before me and follow me. I can never get away from your presence. How precious, God, are your thoughts about me. They cannot even be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand, and when I wake up, you are still with me. I said, Linda and I are going to Florida in a couple weeks for our anniversary and uh, one of our favorite things is being on the beach, and we just take long walks on the beach, and we're going to see sand. And every time I'm on a beach, I think of this passage, that God's thoughts about you and me outnumber all the little grains of sand in the universe. Amazing. So how does that impact what we believe about him? What difference does it make? Is it possible that that's enough power for dealing with our anxieties, our fears. When we're struggling in our marriage relationships or family relationships, when we have a wayward child, when we're fighting or facing cancer, or with what's gone on with COVID, uh, depression is more real than ever in our culture. Is it enough power to help us deal with it? any or all of that perhaps? Let me give you another truth that ought to impact how we're able to live. God's love is not only, his power is not only unfathomable, but his love is unconditional. 2 Peter 3, 9. I want you to hear what it says about how God, his love means he's patient with justice. The Lord isn't really slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to come to repentance. Sometimes when we look at the world, we're going, okay, Jesus, uh, you know, are you coming back? It'd be a good time. But God's love is so unconditional. He desires a relationship with every single person. His love is patient. His love is kind. How about this one? His love brings forgiveness. You all know it. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And why is that? Because he forgives our sins. That's the gift of salvation. So what difference does this make? I know I, for one, I'm so thankful for forgiveness. If it wasn't for God forgiving me and Linda forgiving me, I don't know if we'd be celebrating our 45th wedding anniversary in a couple of weeks. Some of us need a fresh start. Some of us need to find a new sense of security in our identity in Christ. Since God's love is unconditional, he wants to bring all of that into reality for each and every one of us. Let me give you the last truth that I want you to think about. God's plan is unstoppable. 
God's plan is unstoppable. From Genesis through Revelation, God has a plan. He has a plan, and it's unstoppable. He's in total control. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 through 10. Katie, I can't remember if we have this one or not. Okay, so let me just listen really, really carefully, because this talks about the fact that his plan is unstoppable. In Ephesians 1, 9, God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan, that at the right time, he's going to bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. He's in complete control. You don't have to raise your hand. I'm 69. I've known Jesus as Savior since I was 13. I've been in ministry for 49 years. And there are definite times, way too often, when I go, God, really? The way some of you are nodding, I'm guessing you know. You get that, don't you? I'm so heartened by the fact that King David was honest about his doubts with God. Might as well be. (laughs) Remember, God knows everything about us all the time, everywhere, anywhere. He can deal with our doubts, our questions. But he's in control because his plan is unstoppable. Romans 11, 33 to 36. I think we have this, maybe. Nope, it's okay. Romans 11, 33 to 36, one of my favorite passages. Paul writes this, Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge! How impossible it is for us to understand His decisions and His ways. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give Him advice? And who has given Him so much that He needs to pay it back to us? Mm -mm. For everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. His plan is unstoppable. No matter the trials, the tribulations, the doubts, the fears, the questions, the hard times. Let me finish with telling you this this story. About six years ago, um, something very unique, and the timing is just wild for Linda and me. Something very unique happened. Linda had a torn, detached retina, she found out, because in a matter of hours, all of a sudden she couldn't see out of her left eye very well. So we took her to the eye doctor, and he checked it out, torn, detached retina. We needed emergency surgery, okay? So... A few hours later, we have the surgery. I bring her home. She's got a patch, and I still have this image in my mind. Actually, I think I have a photo. She's in our living room with a pillow and a chair and her head like this with her eye patch because of something to do with a a, a gas bubble they put when they try to reattach the retina, and some of you understand uh, what that's about. And so got her to bed after a couple of hours, and I'm really tired. It's about midnight. 
And I'm uh, just trying to relax. I'm checking ESPN Sports Center, and all of a sudden I start realizing, man, I must be really tired. <sighs> My vision's blurry. Didn't think anything about it. You know, it get, that happens when you're tired, right? So I, I go to bed and uh, wake up the next morning, and Linda's downstairs already, and I start getting out of bed. And all of a sudden, I just realized I had, uh, my depth perception was so off. And all of a sudden, I shut my right eye, and I realized I virtually couldn't see out of my left eye. It was like there were dark pockets around my vision, and it was like somebody had thrown gray paint right into my eye. And so I make my way downstairs because we were supposed to go back to a checkup with Linda's eye doctor following surgery, okay? And so we're in there, and he checks it out, and the doctor's going to come back. And so I thought, oh, maybe this is an okay time to tell Linda. And I say, hey, honey, not trying to just be like you, <laughs> but I can't see out of my left eye. What? And so he comes in, he checks Linda, and she says, will you check? So he checks me, and he goes, oh. He did a couple little things, you know, and he goes, oh, we got to get you into a doctor. You have something serious. You've lost most of your vision in your left eye. This is 12 hours after Linda lost hers. I'm going, it's a pandemic of eyesight. <laughs> so tests, checkups, it took about three weeks for the University of Minnesota to diagnose. I never knew this was possible. I had had a stroke just in my eye. And I waited a few more weeks and found out that it was going to be permanent. Linda is trying to recover from her first surgery, and by the way, that didn't work, so a year later she ended up having the surgery again, and even now it's weird, you know. For her, it's like her left eye has no depth perception, and it's like she's looking at a mirror in a funhouse, squiggly and double vision, all of the above. So that's Linda's left eye. Me, it's just sheer darkness and gray paint, can't see. So I'm legally blind in this eye. But I'll never forget when the doctor says it's permanent and Linda is going to have to have another surgery, and uh, we're driving from the University of Minnesota back to our home in Blaine, and we're hardly talking, and we're just, you know, teary, and we're starting the grieving process, and, you know, uh, and I'm going, okay, but, you know, a lot, most people, a lot of people have things way, way, way worse, but then I'm going, but, uh, okay, but this is my thing right now. Anyone ever felt that way? So you do what you're doing when you and your spouse are both lamenting and grieving. Uh, we, we stopped at Pizza Ranch. Um, you can pray. Yeah, it, it's a biblical comfort food, I think. And so we're sitting there with mashed potatoes and gravy and pepperoni right next to it. It's so weird, but it's so good. And if you've never eaten at Pizza Ranch and you're healthy, just stay away. It's, it's fine. And they're playing Christian music on the background, and we're quiet, and we're teary and all of this. And so... All of a sudden, there's a song that comes on. I can't, Linda, I can't remember who the artist is. Okay, but the words are, what if the healing never comes? And I'm just going, no, God, I'm not, that's, somebody, that's for somebody else. It's not for me. And I look up, and Linda's crying, and she's going, God may be telling us something. So we go home, and we sit on the couch, and we're having what, you know what this is, a funeral headache. You know when you've gone to a funeral, and you cried a lot, you just have this splitting headache? 
and we're crying, we're praying, crying, praying, funeral headache, and then <clears throat> all of a sudden I, I, I get a phone call, and I answer it, and uh, is this Byron Emmert? And I said, yes, it is. Um, this is. This is Janice from the Latimer Funeral Home calling. Oh no, what, ha what happened, what happened? And she goes, and uh, you own, no, I, excuse me, I said that wrong. She said, this is Janice, and I'm calling for the Latimer Funeral Home. And I said, well, I, I, this, is a, this is a private residence. She said, well, sir, aren't you Byron Emmert? And I said, yes. Aren't you the director of the Latimer Funeral Home? And I said, no, I'm a pastor, and um, I've done funerals, but I don't run a funeral home. And uh, she's going, well, I have a, an order to deliver uh, flowers of sympathy to you. And I'm going, Wow. Vladimir Funeral Home, what, how, did, how can that, but flowers, and I said, uh, ma'am, um, can I just say something, uh, have, have you, have you made the arrangement yet, and she said, no, I haven't, I said, okay, my wife and I are, are dealing with something, I know you think we're a funeral home, but neither one of us are dead yet, and so rather than, than uh, sympathy flowers, could you just make us some happy flowers? Because we need to be encouraged. She said, well, I'll see what I can do. Two hours later, the doorbell rings, and a young man is standing there, and he hands this to us. So here's how my wife and I respond in the hallway. <laughs> oh, 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 Lord, you are way too funny. Oh, and I mean, that's how it struck us. First of all, sense of humor... And, but then we realized, oh, God, you're in total control of every detail. And the young man just looks at me, and I said, I'm really sorry. It's, it's too hard to explain. And so then he leaves, and we're celebrating, and we're going, this proves that God's in control of every single detail, and we're going to be just, just fine. As it turned out, some friends of ours knew that uh, we had eye issues going on, and they lived actually up here in Brainerd. And and uh, they ordered flowers, and there is a Latimer funeral home, but it's in Arkansas, but somehow that's what happened, and, and that's not coincidence, folks, 12 hours apart, happy flowers, God's in control. Now, Linda and I still have days where it's really frustrating and hard, like in the kitchen, if we're preparing a meal together. I'm, I tend to be really romantic, and Linda's also, Linda likes to kiss, and that's good, especially when you're talking to, you know, like in a setting like this. And, um, but here's what happens. It's her left eye, and it's my left eye. And so sometimes when we're crossing paths in the kitchen, I come, and I've just tried to give her a quick little peck. But you got to remember, I can't see out of my left eye, and she can't either. So we have clanged and gnashed teeth so many times. And we've said, okay, let's hold the romance off. Not in the kitchen, not in the kitchen. And then we have a good laugh because we know this is just temporary. And we also realize that so many people in the world have it far worse than we do. And for some reason, God has allowed this. I hope that that encourages you to remember how he's in control of every detail in our life because his plan is unstoppable. His love is unconditional. His power is unconditional.
fathom before. Let's pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I thank you and praise you for this opportunity to be together like this this weekend. So great. Father, I pray that uh, you will use every conversation, the beauty of creation, the interaction with each other, the conversations, the truth of your word, the worship, everything, God, to draw us closer to you, that you'll use this time to help us grow. And I pray that in one little way that your spirit might take one little nugget of what we looked at here this morning and show us how to apply the fact that what we believe about you determines who we are and how we live. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. I think Pete is coming up, but uh, here's an invitation. I would love to meet every single one of you at some point on the weekend. Uh, you know, it's the size of crowd. Why not? I, I want to meet all of you individually. So thanks again, and we'll see you tonight.